0: go to scripture this morning, anybody who has spent any time at all in the Psalms sees the absolute depth of what relationships can be with God, and that God is up for whatever it is that you bring, whether it's celebratory, or whether it's struggle, or whether it's feeling alone, or whether it's feeling any of those things, and what that says to me is God can deal with all of it. And yet this psalm, Psalm 100, deals with just the amazing immensity of the one that we seek. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. There are going to be images that uh, are shown behind me throughout the message, and I I think I failed to announce that Ash Wednesday is this coming Wednesday. I did? Okay. And what I wanted to make sure that we were aware of is that my class will meet right after that for just an abbreviated time. But the theme of the Ash Wednesday service is going to be around kind of what we're studying in class. And it's, it's a fair bet that what we're studying in class is all about God. And it really is. You know, as soon as you say the word, that little three-letter word, I mean, think about the images that come to mind. Think about the perceptions. Think about the assertions. Think about the emotions that all come to mind just around that little three-letter word, God. God. I, it's been an interesting week. Uh, just you know, looking at emails, and uh, not just emails, but looking at the internet, looking at perceptions of what God is, and seeing that it's very real, what I'm about to say is, is that for, for many of us, God is um, still uh, a being, a human-like being, with long white hair and a long white beard that sits on some huge, mighty, ornate throne in heaven, uh, a little bit like those that know Lord of the Rings, a little bit like Gandalf. And and in in front of God is this constant kind of book. And it's a huge book. It's bigger even than the Bible that we read from. It's a book, and every one of our names is in that book. <laughs> and if like Santa Claus, we behave and do good, then guess where we get to go? North. But if we misbehave, if we misbehave, guess where we're gonna go? South. (laughs) And there is that reality out there. And I, I don't mean to diminish it at all. And and I think the other element that was just so um, consistent in, in what I was reading was the belief that God, yes, absolutely answers prayer. But what God becomes, again, is somewhat like a Santa Claus that, that if we ask, we expect it to be yes, no matter what it is. In some of the most kind of silly kinds of non-essential things, we still expect God to say yes. And then if it happens, we thank ourselves for our own ingenuity. (laughs) But if God says no, then we blame God. Now, I don't want to diminish some of this either, because... I cannot tell you how many times in hospital rooms we have prayed together, hoping for something, hoping for a miracle, praying for health, praying for peace, and those are serious, serious prayers of concern. And they're very real. But it does still involve God. Many around us, even here in the Northwest, believe God is some very large kind of force that is first and foremost judgmental, who continually judges us, who continually sees us as wanting. I mean, I look at the history about God and, and, and see how often wars have been fought because of a difference of belief in God. And wars, I mean, world wars... But even beyond that, wars in relationships that have been fought because of our belief in God. Marriages that have broken up because of differences of opinion about God. Friendships that have been destroyed because of differences of belief about God. And yet there are places where healthy conversations about this can take place, and I continue to believe that this is one of those. And I keep going back. Every time I kind of think about this and think about what I would love to have us continue to explore as a church is it takes me back to a pub. Sorry. But a pub called The Eagle and the Child. And the pub was that location where C.S. Lewis and his best friend J.R.R. R. Tolkien continually came together every week to argue about God over a pint. Um, one of the persons who came out of first service said uh, it would, would have been interesting to watch how the argument changed depending on how many pints they had. <laughs> I think there's truth to that. But here we have two of, one, two of the greatest authors of our time coming together to discuss one subject, God. J.R.R. Tolkien was a very conservative fundamentalist Catholic And you see it in his films, in his book, sorry, and now you see it in the films. He believed that God was an untouchable force, judgmental, powerful, and that everything around God was a war, that it was worthwhile to fight to make sure that we understood which force was more powerful, the force for good or the force for evil. For him, the evil was represented, the, the, the entirety of the evil was basically represented in an eye that was surrounded by flame, that just watched and moved and, and was able to see into every soul. And that that, that force for evil had its, its followers. And those followers, without exception, were, were ugly and, and scary, terrifying. They are the stuff of nightmares. And that's how Tolkien believed it. And so it was a constant battle, good against evil. And you see it. Anybody who's seen any of The Lord of the Rings or even The Hobbit on film, see that representation of it. And that was, for Tolkien, the epitome of what God was. Worthy of war. Then comes C.S. Lewis. And C.S. Lewis believed that God wasn't that at all. He, he talked about God, particularly in the Narnia books, of this, this unfathomable um, kind of force, and he called it the creator of the deep magic. And, and it was this, just almost like Star Wars, the force be with you, this force of, for good, that had its representative... And evil, unlike Tolkien, he, he would argue that evil had to be beautiful and alluring and tempting. And, and the ultimate for C.S. Lewis of what tempted was like Turkish delight. <laughs> and there was something mystical about Turkish delight when it combined with hot chocolate. And particularly when it was presented to you by the epitome of evil, which was this queen. And she was breathtakingly beautiful, but she was ice cold. And she would would turn people to stone as they were lured or opposed her. But I think the most powerful image for those of us who who have studied and who love C.S. Lewis is his figure of savior his figure of Jesus, which is a massive lion. A massive lion who would just engage you and allow you to cuddle with him if you were one of those who believed in him. But he was a fierce enemy to those who would do any harm to anyone else. And so that was C.S. Lewis, a liberal, Oxford-educated pastor, basically author. Lewis talks about the four loves, and my favorite book of Lewis is Screwtape Letters, which talk about the forces that make fun of us who are human, because we're just so easy to connive. It's interesting, isn't it? Then we come to the whole idea of of Jesus, beyond even the lion of C.S. Lewis, and And we we know that Jesus believed in something beyond himself. We know because he prayed to this force. And he named this force. And even in the call to worship this morning, you heard that name, Abba. And the the closest translation that we can get to that name in the English language is daddy. That kind of intimate relationship with this force Way beyond what he was. And yet, as Christians, we look at Jesus and we see this is the one who was more filled with that force for good than anyone else. And so we understand that to read of him and to learn of him and to follow what he did and what he said, to make it a part of us also makes us godly. And we strive, I think, to be godly. There are scriptures, one of which I I, I dearly love, and I I think about it particularly today because because of how many folks are out there experiencing God's creation. Uh, You know, in the sun, in the middle of February, uh, again, the line that was going to the peninsula was, I've never seen it that long and to just get away and camp or go to the beach or do those things where we become recreated as we recreate. And, and this scripture, particularly out of Isaiah, that we, we're so familiar with it, and yet if we open ourselves to this force, to this great mystery that is God, here's what it says. They who wait upon the Lord... Those who dwell in the presence of God, they will renew their strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. And then this one out of Jeremiah Jeremiah says, let not the wise boast of their wisdom or the strong boast of their strength or even the rich boast of their riches. Instead, those who truly understand how life is to be lived will boast about this, the strength and majesty and glory of God who exercises kindness and justice and righteousness. And who brings peace, a peace that passes understanding? For in these things does God delight. Or how often throughout the Psalms do we, do we hear of this relationship with God? A God who listens to our sorrows and feels the pain. A God who lifts us up and sets us back on our feet. Or even in the New Testament, Romans says, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing. Neither height nor depth nor powers or principalities. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And then we think of Jesus, one statement. And this is is important for us. And it's that statement just after the Beatitudes in Matthew. He says, seek and you will find. Seek and you will find. You know, we have a congregation here who are filled with with science types, uh, engineers, and, and others who, who just really understand the workings of creation. And, and so I went back and I looked a little bit again at, at some of that, the scientific aspects that I believe are also God. I think about the earth itself, even the atmosphere and how fragile that atmosphere is, and yet it holds in the perfect the perfect amounts of oxygen and hydrogen and even nitrogen. The fact that it is seasonal and that it rotates just enough so that either we're not pulled into the ground nor are we flung from it. It's, it's perfect in its form. Or, or, or how about just something as simple as water? Water water, the perfect combination of oxygen and and hydrogen, but whose surface tension is such that it will go against physics because it will go against gravity because of that surface tension and be absorbed up into the plants and into the trees that make this one of the most beautiful places to live in the world. So it gets water from below, moving up, and it gets water from above, and we get this. The other amazing piece of this is that that we are surrounded by salt water, and yet that salt water evaporates up and transforms and then moves as the clouds move, and then it dumps not salt water, but fresh water to nourish us and everything around us. If that's not enough, go look in the mirror. I will say again, every one of you, as different as you are, are miraculous creations of God. And and, and if that's too big, just do me a favor. Go go to the bathroom and look in the mirror and just stare at your eye. Just look at your eye. I mean, it's incredible, your eye. And, And by the way, what's so incredible is when you take things in, they're upside down. And then your eye, as miraculous as it is, puts it right side up. I can't imagine preaching to you upside down. I would maybe be more creative, but, but, but think about that, or your DNA, or your heartbeat, or the blood flow, or those perfect things that make us what we are. Finally, think about the fact that there is a healing nature to all of this. That even as the earth is damaged there's something in it that allows it to heal at least to an extent. If you cut your body will heal. I think of those who've gone through surgery. Uh, we had uh, one person in first service who had broken two ribs in a ski accident up at Whistler and you know his ribs will heal. There's healing to all of it. But Let me close with this. More than any of those other things. More than any of those other things. There's something deeply personal that God desires for us. I will share again, sitting at the cabin in the last week of my leave. I was about to get ready to come home, and there was just a nagging feeling that God was trying to communicate something to me. And normally, and I will admit this to you, or often I will just ignore those things and keep moving on. This time I didn't. And I sat in my chair and looking at the fireplace and, and just breathed and then said, God, what is it that you are seeking to tell me? And an overwhelming peace just descended. And filled me. And phrases began to come. Brad, with my name, Brad, I love you. Brad, I will protect you. Brad, I am surrounding you. Brad, I am undergirding you. Brad, I will carry you and I will guide you. As deeply intimate, as deeply personal as it gets. And then the feeling of hands on my shoulders as though Jesus was standing behind me that then moved to my head and feeling the presence of the Christ in that moment, in that place. Friends, we live in the Northwest, a place where we should be able to seek this presence more readily than almost anywhere else. We take action, so many of us, just look at this morning or even first service where we will put, and I I, I just think of Jim and Don right now, of putting 40-pound backpacks on our backs in order to get up into the mountains away from the city and in some cases climb severe places to get even further out. Why? Why? So that personally we can experience something that is beyond ourselves. And that something surrounds us every day. I felt it here in this sanctuary. I felt it sitting in the parsonage, in my office, here in this office. I felt it walking the grounds. I felt it on my swims and my runs and my bike rides. I've I felt it in everywhere. But most importantly, you know where I feel it and I see it most readily. In you. In you. You are godly. And seek to live that out every day. Does God exist? Absolutely. Does God exist in the Northwest? (laughs) Absolutely. And friends, it doesn't matter whether you're spiritual but not religious, it doesn't matter if you're spiritual and religious. It doesn't matter, really, if you're none of those things. But remember, to seek is to find. So let us seek. Let us seek. Amen.